Welcome back to The Andrew Ramon Show. In this episode, we're going to study Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus teaches us that there are two ways we should not pray. Stay tuned. Let's get into it. What's up, everyone? I hope that you had a great weekend. Whatever day you're listening to this, thank you for spending a little bit of time with me. Today, I'm pumped about this episode. Make sure to hit subscribe, follow us on Instagram and TikTok. We are posting daily um, now, and I'd love for you to get connected, share the videos and everything, so that way we can grow and expand uh, our influence in in the community. I think that would be great. Well, It's interesting the Pew Research Center showed several years back that among Christians, about 68% pray at least daily. So many books have been written about prayer, and rightly so. If you have grew up in the Christian world, you've probably read some books about prayer, and they've helped you. I remember I'm still in the middle of a book by, I believe the author is an old author, meaning 1800s, maybe 1700s, probably, Andrew Murray. Man, I wish I was like Joe Rogan where I was like, hey, Jimmy, pull that up. Is it Jimmy or something like that? Hey, pull up, pull, pull, pull up. Who's Andrew Murray? Well, I can't do that right now. But I think it's Andrew Murray. It's an author and it was, it's a book on prayer and it's extremely profound. And I think it's, you know, rightly so that so many books have been written about this topic because it is a key pillar in our Christian walk. It's interesting that the word prayer or pray comes up around 338 times in the Bible. And that's specifically if you're looking at like the ESV version, because the old King James version uses the word pray, uh, not only like praying to God, but also like requesting something from someone else. Like, I pray thee that you would give me this Solomon or whatever. Um, so not necessarily to God the whole time, but Paul does mention, um, nonetheless, a prayer, I think about 41 times. So obviously it's a very recurrent topic. And if you grew up in church, there are several passages, for example, that, that come to mind when you think about prayer, because so much of our focus is how do I pray, right? How do I pray? How is, is it short prayers, long prayers? Is it just all about authenticity? And, you know, we think about scriptures like First Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, that says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So we think, okay, we got to pray at all times, 24-7. Is that what it means? Or Philippians 4, 5 through 7, uh, which says, do not be anxious about anything, but everything in prayer, in supplication, make your request be known to God. Um, Great verse, by the way, if you're battling with anxiety, it's to really make those requests, whatever is making you anxious. If, If it's big enough to worry about, it is big enough to pray about. Uh, what else? What other verses? Oh, uh, how could I forget? A classic, right? Jesus himself teaches us how to pray. It's known as the Lord's Prayer, uh, which we're going to briefly kind of mention throughout this episode. But I want us to pause and think for a moment, though. Like, let's just pause because a lot of times if you're listening to a Christian podcast and you think about prayer, you're like, okay, I I kind of already pray, you know? And so many things are, are teaching you how to pray. But I want you guys to kind of take a step back And realize that when the disciples were asking Jesus to teach them how to pray, and that's how we got the Lord's Prayer, have you thought about why would Jesus need to teach us how to pray? Because isn't prayer just something personal? Like, doesn't everyone just pray however they want to? Something between you and God? It's all about just being authentic, right? And it doesn't matter how you pray, as long as you pray. And can you really pray wrong? Well, 
Today, we're going to talk about two wrong ways that people can pray. And a lot of times, we all tend to pray this way, these ways. And I'm not the one saying it's wrong. It's actually Jesus himself that says it. And as he teaches his disciples how to pray, he also tells them how not to pray. If you have your Bibles, turn over to Matthew chapter 6. Welcome to Bible study with Andrew. This is going to be a great time. If you got your hands busy, don't worry. I will read the verses here. Uh, I got them here with me, so not, not to worry. Now, I want to kind of read this for you. And chapter 6 comes at the tail end of what we know as the Sermon on the Mount. And this is when Jesus is speaking on, on a variety of different topics, whether it's uh, anger, lust, divorce, oaths, retaliations, loving your enemies. And with every topic, he speaks with like patterns and riddles. Uh, but he, he kind of starts like this. He says, you have heard it said to your to the ones of old or to, to your ancestors or, or to the people of old, you shall not murder, or you shall not lust, or he kind of starts that way, like you have heard it say, and then he says, but I say to you that everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment, or anyone who lusts a woman in his heart will has already committed adultery. So he does this every time, taking the commandments to the heart level, which is, I think, really interesting and really cool. And what he's making sure that we understand, and this is a pattern throughout Jesus' ministry, is that it's not just about outer actions, but it's about our inner condition. Because as humans, for some reason, we focus so much on outer actions, but don't fix what's really broken in the inside. And the reason we don't fix it is because we can't fix it. We can change our actions, but our hearts can only be transformed by Jesus. And that's what he was saying. He's like, yo, you Pharisees got it all wrong. You got the actions half right but the heart is way wrong. So then after all this, here comes chapter six. And Jesus teaches with a new pattern. Like I tell you, this is like a Bible study. We're, we're picking this apart. And now pay attention because this is very, very important. In chapter six, he speaks about, uh, about one, two, four, five topics. Um, giving to the needy, prayer, which we'll focus on, fasting, storing up treasures, and why we shouldn't worry or be anxious. That's you know, the famous verse that says, you know, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. That's one of my favorite verses and what my life has really been founded on. Uh, or he says, you know, do not be anxious about what you will eat and all this. So if you're familiar with scripture, you're probably familiar with these things. But it's interesting because every section, at least most sections, Jesus tells us how not to do that one thing. So he uses two groups to show us what we shouldn't do. He calls one group the hypocrites, in the other group, the Gentiles. And we're going to break down each group separately and we'll discover what that we might be praying wrong or giving wrong or fasting wrong, although we're, we're focusing on praying. But before we do that, I want to just kind of make a quick observation as I was reading through Matthew chapter 6. I can't help but think about how much Jesus is emphasizing that if you're his disciple, you got to do things differently. If I'm his disciple, I got to do things differently. Being a Christian is not so much about living in the cave, forsaking all contact with society necessarily, but it's also not about being so much like the world that the only thing that distinguishes us is just the title Christian. The way we love people has to be different. The way we forgive people has to be different. The way we stay pure has to be different. The way that we give, the way that we pray has to be different. 
something's got to be different. If not, how are people to tell us apart? How, how will people go, I know he's a Christian because X, Y, and Z. That being said, let's start kind of with our first case study, aka the hypocrites. We'll start in verse four, verse five, actually. And this, for me, this is fascinating. And this is what Jesus says, quote, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites as our first group, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you that they have received their reward. Okay, so let's let's kind of start um, diving deeper. Jesus describes them in a similar way here when he's talking about giving or fasting. Uh, basically, it's the same thing for all these, for the hypocrites in every single category. It's, they basically do things in order to be applauded by man, right? Their focus is to be seen by man. If I can almost picture like a modern day hypocrite Pharisee, hey, if you have a British accent, excuse me here. This is just me because I just feel like, uh, like they, they have this type of, they will only speak in King James. They speaketh, they speaketh and they probably pray and they speaketh and they say, thy will be done in this on earth as it is in heaven. I, I know my, my accents are really bad, but I always feel like that might be like this really haughty attitude, like <laughs> everyone's below my level because I speak in the British accent. Hey, again, if you speak in the British accent, I love you. I'm just honoring your accent because you're you're when you're born, you're automatically have like an IQ level of I don't know what's a high IQ level that I probably just exposed my own IQ level at that moment. Anyway, so let's uh, continue with with the lesson so far. So Jesus describes these people as people who are focused in being seen by man. And they sound the alarm when giving to the needy. They disfigure their faces to show that they are fasting. They they stand and pray only, not that standing and praying are wrong, but that they may be seen by others. And I notice here that Jesus is not saying that you shouldn't give to someone or that you shouldn't fast or that you shouldn't pray, but he's exposing the inner posture of their hearts because these are the same people that Jesus would reprimand for honoring God with their lips, but their hearts are being far from him. In Luke 18, Jesus talks about the Pharisees and the tax collector that go into the temple and they pray. And this is basically Jesus saying, hey, here's here's an example of a hypocrite. And the Pharisee has this haughty attitude. Of course, you know, he's over like this. God, thank you so much. I'm so grateful that I fast and I tithe. And I'm not like, oh, hey, where's my handkerchief? I'm not like these tax collectors. I can't even say the word. You know, he probably has that attitude. But he wasn't the one that left justified. In fact, that was a tax collector who understood his sinful posture and his sinful condition. And I hope you're seeing kind of this pattern in a hypocrite. A hypocrite is whose words don't match their actions. We understand that none of us can none of us can stand the hypocrite in real life. But how many of us are hypocrites in prayer? Ugh, that's when we might give ourselves a little more leeway than we should. A hypocrite might fool people, but he can't fool God. So Jesus says, don't pray like the hypocrites. Let your words match your actions. Don't pray to be seen by people. I can't be the only one growing up in church that you, sometimes you spiced up your spirit, your, your prayers so that they, say, they sound more spiritual, right? You, I mean, you, you, 
use big words like taking authority. We pray your manifest presence, not just your presence, but your manifest presence. Again, none of these words are bad. None, praying this way is not necessarily bad, but it's the motivation. How many times do we impress people by our prayers or by our faith, but our actions don't back up our words? And what Jesus is saying here is, look, you can't fool God, bro. I mean, you can live as a hypocrite and people will applaud you like, oh, congrats. But God's like, uh, I see through your words. I see directly at your heart. How many times have our prayers been motivated by wanting to be seen by people? I'll let that pause there. If you only pray in public, but not in private, our prayers are in danger of being shallow and performative. I'm not saying that they are, they're just in danger of becoming that. Because Jesus says something powerful after exposing hypocrites. He says, truly I say to you that they have received their reward, meaning those who give and fast and pray to be seen by others and to impress, they receive their reward, but not from God. What Jesus is saying is, if you do all these things for the applause of people, congrats. You got your reward because the applause will be your reward. In contrast, Jesus says, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who is in secret will reward you. Oh man, I'm, I'm pumped about this. Notice how the two people are rewarded. The hypocrite is also rewarded, but the only thing that he gets is applause. Nothing from God. Notice where the reward comes from now. Your father. Ever wonder why Jesus said, shut the door? I mean, that seems obvious now because maybe you're familiar with the scripture, but why did Jesus say, shut the door? It's almost as if he wanted to emphasize the point that, hey, nobody has to see you doing this. Shut the door. Nobody has to see you. This is a time between your father and you. Nobody has to know. Okay, I'm going I'm to step on some people's toes. I'm so sorry, but I, I, I feel like it's necessary to point this out because in our social media age where people post about basically everything, every moment of their lives is their morning routine, their quiet time routine, their coffee, in Bible photo, and it can be so tempting to be like the hypocrites, to make everything just a photo op. Again, we might fool people, but we can't fool God. We have to normalize prioritizing our private life that no one might ever know, ever, no human being might ever recognize you for praying daily, and that's okay because we have to normalize prioritizing our private life with God even when nobody knows. Normalizing closing the door on distractions, on expectations, on pride, on Instagram, I feel like some of us, God is asking, hey, can't we just have a time, just me and you, or do you always have to bring your phone with you? Can, can it just be us? Like, allow the overflow in the fruit of your private time with God be the evidence in public. You don't have to tell everybody how much you pray. Let your actions reflect how much you pray. Let your actions show that you're prayed up. Now, look, I get this. As someone who talks a lot, and has a podcast, I've learned that a lot of times 
when God is doing something in you, when he's working something in you, is not necessarily a lesson for someone else. It's sometimes just for you. I'll put it personally. There's a lot of times when I'm reading and I get really excited and I go, oh God, oh, you're working in me. Oh, this is this would make a great episode. And God's like, uh, no, that's actually just for you. That's not for you to teach someone something or share something. That's just for you, buddy. What, what if what if God just wants to minister to you? And maybe no one will know that he does it in a daily basis, but they'll see the fruit of it. Like sometimes God will minister things to you personally and they're not about recording a video and then posting it. And then you end up becoming like the church chat. You've probably seen the videos, right? Where it's like just this church chat who's just so super spiritual and they post a video and they're like, what's up guys? Um, I just felt a prompting in my spirit to post a video because maybe right now you're, you're fighting with self image issues, which personally I've never struggled with, but a random thought did come to my mind and I felt my daddy God tell me, Chad, you're beautiful. You're not ugly. In fact, you're handsome. And I felt like maybe someone out there has to hear that, that you're amazing. And, you know, if people don't recognize that, well, that's on them, but I recognize it. And you're like, bro, my gosh, what a church chat. Like, oh, bro, you can just see through it. You can just see through it. Um, look, I'm not saying that God can't move you to post something. Maybe your quiet time. That's great if it blesses people, but there always has to be a heart check of why you're doing something, especially in today's social media age. I'm just telling you from personal experience, it can be very tempting to post things, but then they become more performative if we don't have a private life to back that up. You know, it's interesting that in 2 Kings chapter 4, Elisha, the prophet of God, goes to visit a woman and her husband who, a couple years before that, he'd done a miracle in their lives. They didn't have a son, and he prophesied that by the next year, around the same time, they would have a son, and it happened. It was amazing. But fast forward some years, and the boy grew up, and he suddenly died. That's like, wow, God, are you serious? You and this is what the woman's like, wait a second, you gave me, God gave me the son and now he's dead. Something does not add up. So he, she went to get Elisha again. And when Elisha arrived at their home, this is what it says in 2 Kings chapter 4. It says, quote, when Elisha came into the house, he saw that the child lying dead on his bed. So he went in and shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. Did you catch that? He shut the door behind them. Here's the question. In your prayer times, what do you have to shut the door on? You have all the permission you need to slam the door in the devil's face when you pray. Like that's the time when you're like, uh, devil, no, no, bye, Cl shut the door. Oh, doubt, bye, boom, anxiety, bye, shut the door. Distractions, boom, bye-bye. What do you have to close and shut the door on? I don't know what distracts you the most. For me, sometimes it's my phone, although I like to use it for worship music, but sometimes I still get distracted. So I think I got to shut the door on that. What is it for you? Checking emails? I don't know what it is, but my question is, is there something that you have to shut the door on? If you're human, I'm pretty sure that there is. So the first way we're, we're not to pray is like the hypocrites whose motivation is to be seen by others. Now, the second way that Jesus tells us not to pray is like the Gentiles. This is what he continues in, in Matthew chapter six. He says, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. And do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. 
So first, let's kind of define the word Gentile. The word is often translated as unbelievers or pay, or even pagans. In this context, it does mean kind of pagans because Jesus goes on to say that whenever he says that you should not worry about what you should eat or drink because the pagans worry about these things. So a good example, for example, um, a good example uh, to what Jesus is referring to when he says, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, thinking that it will be heard for their many words. You can actually find this in the Old Testament in 1 Kings chapter 18. In 1 Kings chapter 18, Elijah is having a showdown with the prophets of pagan, I guess you could say the pagan prophets. So again, this is first chap- This is 1 Kings chapter 18. Elijah is having a total showdown with the prophets of, of a pagan god named Baal. It's like a rap battle, only without rap, and more like a fire from heaven battle. It's, it's pretty epic. I mean, I would want to be there and be like, dope, bro, he totally burned you. Anyways, enough puns. The pagan prophets go first, and this you can read this in chapter 18, verse 26, and this is what they do. And they prepared the, the, the sacrifice and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they made, and at noon, Elijah mocked them. I mean, some time had passed already. And, they, and Elijah's like, cry aloud, maybe... Hey, maybe he's musing. Maybe he's relieving himself. Maybe he's asleep. He must be awakened. And it says that they continue to cry aloud. Jesus is saying, don't pray like these people. Pray, play very close attention to how Jesus says we should not pray. He says, these people heap up empty phrases and they think they will be heard by their many words. We pray like Gentiles when we think that God will listen to us because of our many words. I'm going to say this very respectfully because it's going to step on someone's toes. Oftentimes, we treat prayer as a way to twist God's arm and convince him to do something. But Jesus says, don't be like them. Don't be like the Gentiles, the unbelievers. Why? Because he says that your father already knows what you need before you ask him. Now notice where Jesus wants to take us in prayer, away from the endless repetitions and just the begging and please God, please God, please God, please God, please God, in deeper into relationship, knowing that your father already knows. Again, it's about motivation. And this hits home depending on the church culture that you grew up in. My context is that Latino culture is deeply influenced by Catholicism. And a lot of times, Catholicism has a big use of repetition of prayers. Some of those prayers are said very genuinely, and I think it's really cool. I mean, guided prayers are never a bad thing. But oftentimes, these uh, repetitive prayers are almost used like magic words to make God listen. If I just say our father 10 times or 10 Hail Marys, God will listen to me or forgive me or however may work. But Jesus says, don't pray as an orphan who has to fight for their needs. Pray as a son who has a loving father who understands what you need. Your father already knows what you need. Then why should I be praying then? You might ask yourself, so you can recognize that you need him, that you're dependent on God so that you actually believe it because when you ask it and it happens, you're like, holy cow, it actually happened. So you can believe it and your faith can be strengthened. So we need to ask ourselves, how do I pray? Have I been praying wrong? Do I even pray in private or it's just something that I do whenever someone says, hey, will someone lead us in prayer? And you're like, oh yeah, 
the church chat will pr- lead you in prayer. Do I go pray, but leave the door open for distractions? Do I pray to impress others? Do I pray trying to convince God of things as if he doesn't already know what I need and won't provide it? Do I pray to God as if he's some pagan God out there distant that I have to manipulate and pray and say, Lord, please look at me when he says, you're my son, I'm your father. Do I approach God boldly or do I hesitate because I kind of have a, unfortunately, a, a, a picture that is not accurate with our relationship with now in Jesus, we are his children or do we treat God like a genie? Now, in this next episode, we're going to learn how we should pray. But for this week, I want to challenge you that you start kind of taking some mental notes of how you're praying and realize, holy cow, I've actually been praying wrong a few times. Or maybe you're thinking, you know what? I'm actually, I'm doing doing pretty well, but I have a tendency to beg. I have a tendency to, to do, just do repetition and repetition and repetition and not make it actually genuine. Now, Jesus didn't just instruct us how not to pray. He also gave us the guide of what is known as the Lord's Prayer, which that we shall do next. So you don't want to miss the next episode of The Andrew Ramon Show. We'll see you there.